Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Can we give it up for Jeff? What a powerful testimony. He was in the first service today. Um, What a happy birthday to be able to share. I remember when he came in a few weeks ago and said, I want to share my testimony and tell people how God healed me of the heart attack. My retirement went through the next day, and then he found freedom in Jesus. And his testimony, and then he said, I want you to play it on my birthday. I'm like, I will absolutely make that happen on your birthday. How many know this is why we do what we do? This is what it's about. Um, And it's testimonies like that, that some mornings, that's the reason I continue to get up out of the bed. And, And one of the things Jeff told me when we met before we filmed, he said, Pastor, He said, I know uh, that it costs a lot to do what you do. And he said, I don't ever want you to stop because there's other people like me that can find freedom. Just keep doing what you're doing. And I told him, I said, we will do our best to keep doing what we're doing. We're thankful for what God has done in his life and for what he's doing in your life. I'm extremely excited about this series. Uh, We kicked it off last week. It's on the book of Ephesians. Um, Kind of taking it line by line and going through it, pulling out a lot of the things that God has for us. The book of Ephesians is a book that describes who you are in Christ and what Christ has made available to you. That's what the, the, the concept is throughout the book of Ephesians. Um, and I'm excited to preach today. Um, I'm a little tired, but I am excited. This week, this will be the seventh sermon in seven days over multiple states in Oklahoma and Minnesota. And, and, and I'll be honest, I went and preached at all these places, all these services, and I just took the message of dominion and authority that we've been talking about, preached it. We saw the sick get healed. We saw the captive be set free. And I just want to say thank you for allowing me to go. It was an extremely busy week. At one point, I was in, coming into an airport after multiple delays and a change of routes, and, and um, it was the last service of the week in Minnesota on Friday. I was running so far behind, and they, my luggage did not make it. I had to grab clothes, literally, out of an airport. I walked into a store and said, I'm a size large, I need a black belt, and I need black shoes in size 11, and whatever they pulled is what I took. And I went to the service late that night, but God still honored it. God still moved in a powerful way. And I want to say thank you as a congregation uh, for allowing me to go and um, for making that um, possible. Um, But I do want to say there's no place like home. It's good to be back today. Um, Week one, we did talk about being in Christ. Today, I want to talk to you about being saints, about what it means to be a saint. That's that's the concept that I want to share with you. Um, This uh, message, I didn't know how it was going to translate, and about halfway through the first service, I realized that I was hitting home with a lot of people. You kind of, you know that as a preacher, there are moments when the weight of what you're teaching is, is, it's finding fertile ground and multiple people stopped me on the way out of that first service and said the message was for them. 
Um, now, I would like you, for you to believe that happens every Sunday. That don't happen every Sunday, but today people were very intentional to stop me and say, this message helped me tremendously. And I believe it's going to help you, but I, I want to set this up. I'm going to read several verses, not from Ephesians, from other books of the Bible, because I'm going to draw a parallel to help us understand who we are in Christ. So I'm going to start... Um, with Genesis chapter 6, starting in verses 5 and 6, it says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that the, every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Anybody feel encouraged right now? All right. Now, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Leviticus 26, 27, and 28 and, uh, it says, If in spite of this you still do not listen to me but continue to be hostile toward me, then in my anger I will be hostile towards you, and I myself will punish you for your sins seven times over. Gift of encouragement right now. Jeremiah 17 and 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Psalms 11, 4 and 5, the Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. Romans 2, verse 5, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, I'm sure no one feels encouraged with any of the verses we just read. But I read those because I want you to grasp something today that I think is significant. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're only looking at two verses today. And I'm going to lean into the phrase where he says that he's writing to the saints. Here's what it says in Ephesians 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, which means God picks and anoints and establishes leaders. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the book of Ephesians is established in the first two verses that it is being written to the saints who are faithful and in Christ. Incredibly important that we understand who he's writing to. Because more than 300 times throughout the Bible, um, we hear the word sinners and how God is going to handle sinners. Over 600 times, the Bible speaks of the wrath of God that is burning against sinners. We hear language in those verses on greed and hostility and punishment and judgment and torment. That the wrath of God is awaiting those who are sinners. Now, some of you, if you're new to church, if you've not been around this, you may say, well, pastor, I've never heard all of that. And the reason that it's possible that maybe you've never heard any of that is because people love lies and they pay well for professionals to proclaim them. And in this therapeutic culture, 
in which we live um, where you are told you're a good person, you need to love yourself, you need to esteem yourself, you need to embrace yourself, and as you do that, you can actualize your potential um, and that God basically exists to give you glory. Uh, how many know that is all nonsense in the end? All of that is complete nonsense in the end. Morality is not determined by the majority, but it is actually determined by the Lord. And, and it's not popular, but we do need to understand that every single person will give an account of their life. Listen, and if you're a sinner giving your, an account of your life as a sinner, there is wrath being stored up for you. I don't know how to say that any more kindly that there is wrath being stored up for the sinner and we will all give an account of our life to God and it doesn't matter what the professor said it doesn't matter what the counselor said or even the spiritual leader for that matter uh, or even what your mama told you at the end of the day you're going to stand and give an account not in front of a mirror to yourself it's not you holding you accountable at the end of the day you're going to give an account to your maker the one who made you now, for those of you who are non-Christians, if you're in this room and you're not following Jesus or you're watching online and you're not following Jesus, you are living in the path of God's wrath. All right? You're living in the path of God's wrath. You are a sinner by nature. You are a sinner by choice. And my job is to simply tell you the truth. Your job is to make a decision, will I follow Jesus or not follow Jesus? How many know there's only two directions? We're either going to follow him or we're not going to follow him. Now, for those of you who are in Christ, who would identify with Ephesians 1, 1 and 2, that you are one of the saints, Paul writing to the saints, uh, my question for you is how does God primarily see you? How does God primarily view you? Okay, because in those first two verses, Paul says, I am writing to the saints who are at Ephesus, to those who are faithful, to those who are in Christ, and he says, to those people, I, I pronounce to you grace and peace. Okay, so you've got, for the sinner, there is wrath awaiting, but for the saint, there is grace and there is peace awaiting you. Anybody thankful for the grace of God that comes your direction as you follow Jesus? Now, the author of Ephesians, very important. I'm going to give you some context today that I didn't give you last week. The writer of Ephesians is Paul, um, but the real author of the book of Ephesians is the Holy Spirit. We know that the, the scriptures are divinely inspired by God, that faithful men, as moved upon by the Holy Spirit, they put pen to paper and wrote exactly what God wanted them to write. So Paul is the writer, and Paul was an incredible man. He was a brilliant man. Uh, he would be in the same category uh, of, a, of a Moses. He's, I mean, he is a, uh, 
polarizing figure, brilliant, knew several languages. God used him mightily. Uh, presidents and politicians, they come and go. But men like the Apostle Paul, it's 2,000 years later and we're still talking about him because he made that much of an impact on the kingdom of God. And so he is the one writing it and he's responsible for writing a large part of the New Testament. We know for a fact that Paul uh, wrote 13 books of the New Testament and some would argue it's actually 14. We don't really know who authored the book of Hebrews, but many people believe they attribute that to the Apostle Paul. He's also the main focus in the book of Acts from chapter 13 all the way to chapter 28. It's all about Paul. So we see a large part of the New Testament is about this one man. This, this, this man who started out in scripture in the book of Acts, we see him who he's an unbeliever, not following Jesus. He's actually very religious though. And he, he thinks that he's doing the will of God by, by murdering Christians, people that follow Jesus. And he has this supernatural encounter with God. He's knocked off his horse, literally, and his high horse, figuratively, figuratively. and, and he's, he has this encounter with God. And I think his story is so powerful because we have this man who was killing Christians, who experiences Jesus and the grace of God. He's taken out of darkness into God's light, and now he's planted churches. He's invited to churches to speak. Could you imagine if I invited someone like Charles Manson to come preach who had been killing people, but I told you, hey, he had an encounter with Jesus. He loves the Lord. And that's kind of what the Apostle Paul was. He murdered Christians, and now he is preaching, and he's planting churches all over the world. And that's good news to you, because what that tells me is, is that regardless of how dark your life is been, regardless of how dark your past is, how bad your life is right now, you are not too far away from God for him to rescue you, to bring you out of darkness, to bring you into light. Don't ever just cast people off like there is no hope. I don't care how blasphemous they've been, how dark it's been. You can't, uh, listen, the, the grace of God cannot be articulated. We don't fully understand how God can take someone like that and change them, but thank God he does because at one time I was in darkness and he rescued me. Come on, somebody, if you know what I'm talking about. And he changed my life, which means he can change your life. And so this is the author. This is the man. And he's um, planting churches. He's, he's uh, the Bible, if you study it out, you find out that he would walk roughly 20 miles a day over rough, rugged terrain just to do what God had called him to do. And that, that just brings me to a question. How faithful are you to Jesus? How committed are you? He was willing to go to such great lengths just to present the gospel. And he would preach and he would teach. And many times he would spend nights alone because there was no indication that he was married, no indication that he had children. And a lot of times when Paul would enter into a city and begin, sometimes he would be there only minutes because every time he would show up somewhere, a riot would break out. And the reason riots would break out is because when he would preach truth, people loved their idols. They loved their false gods. 
And so riots would break out, and sometimes he could stay in a place for minutes, sometimes hours, sometimes a few weeks. But the church at Ephesus, he planted it and stayed there approximately three or four years. And what started as a riot ended up moving into this big stadium-like place with 25,000 people. And you got you to picture Ephesus. We think of uh, Bible times, all kind of like mountains and, and you know, out in the field somewhere, but Ephesus was an urban city. It would be uh, similar to like our Chicago and or our LA. It was an urban uh, center. It was the banking capital. Uh, people, there was diversity. It was the banking center of that day. A lot of trade happened, but there was so much diversity and so many false gods and false religions. It was very complex, and 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 that's why Paul uses phrases in the book of Ephesians like principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places because this is not on the backside of a desert somewhere. This would be like going into Chicago or New York and planting a life-giving church where thousands of people are being saved. And that's the writer. That's the author of the book of Ephesians. And that's a little bit of the context of this book. And he's writing to them. There's so much diversity in this city. And as I said, sometimes he would, he would be there in a place for minutes, weeks, maybe months. But this place, he had spent significant amount of time there, several years. But in context, he is now thrown in jail. And I want you to picture this with me for just a minute because this is not a small church now. This is a very large church that he has founded, that he planted, and that he has led. And now he's in jail and from jail, you got to love this about the Apostle Paul. He doesn't even waste his jail time, but he invests his jail time to further the kingdom. Some of us, if we were thrown in jail for preaching Jesus, we would be having the biggest pity party on the planet. We, we, we would be saying, well, I hope my church, I hope Bethesda sends me a care package. Paul wasn't worried about getting some care package from his church. He was worried about advancing the kingdom of God. He was that committed to it. And so he's in jail, and he's not wasting this jail time. He's using it to pray, hear from God, put pen to paper, and get a letter to the church he planted. And you got to picture this. Thousands of people know that their, their leader is in jail. Could you imagine? I'm thrown in jail for preaching Jesus. I've never been in jail, but Paul had been multiple times. And he's in jail again. But they get word that our leader, our founding pastor, he is writing a letter, and this week at church, they're going to read the letter that he wrote to us. I would imagine that word got out about the letter. Word got out that we're going to hear from Paul, and everybody is curious. What is he going to tell us? What is he going to say? And I'm sure church attendance um, that day was not like church attendance on a Sunday in June in America. Everybody was there because someone from the church was going to get up and they were going to read what our leader is saying from prison. And in light of all of these circumstances and the teaching of the Bible, where do you think Paul should start? I mean, what should he say? What is he seeking to do in this letter to the church at Ephesus 
And, and, and the answer to that question is that what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to establish identity in them. He's wanting them to know who they are in Christ. And this is so important because once you establish identity, once you know who you are in Christ and you've established identity, now you know what to do with your life. Once you have identity, then you can have activity. And sometimes the reason our activity is off is because our identity is off. And so Paul is trying to establish identity in the saints at Ephesus. He wants them to know who they are. If someone were to ask you, a friend, a relative, a coworker, were to ask you, tell me about yourself. Most of us would explain ourselves. And what I mean by that, we would talk about if we're married or not, or if we have kids or not, or if we're starting a career or we're at the end of our career and we're ready to retire. We would, we would talk about things like that. And those are things that explain us, but those are not things that define us. The Apostle Paul wanted to start not with what he did. He wanted to start with his identity in Christ. Listen, if someone was pressing you, what would you say to them? What, what would you write to an email to someone who emailed you and asked, asked, tell me about yourself? How would you begin? And that brings me to this question. Is a Christian's identity as a sinner or saint? If we read that verse in Ephesians 1, again, Paul, the apostle, writing to the saints who are in Christ, who are faithful. He's establishing identity. He's establishing their position in Christ. Most of us would not explain ourselves the way Paul does. He, we, most of us would not start with spiritual identity in Christ. Because at the end of the day, how many of you think that at a church in Ephesus, out of thousands of people, that there were probably some good people there, but there were probably some, there were also some bad people there, right? Like, I, what cracks me up about church people is they think because someone attends a church and then they do something real stupid that they want to identify what this one person did with the whole body, that church over there. But how many know in every church there's annoying people, gossiping people? Come on, there's, there's all kinds of people. But when Paul wrote to this church, he establishes identity. Listen, there were people there that were not radiating the glory of God 24-7. There were people there that, had, that, that were rough. There were people living decent lives and were honoring God. But there were also some people in this congregation that needed some real work, that really needed to grow in their relationship with God. And I love this because he's, he's writing to the whole church, the good ones, the bad ones, the faithful ones, the unfaithful ones. And he says, hey, to the saints, identity. To the saints who are in Christ. So is a Christian's identity primarily as a sinner or saint? This is so important to understand. Where do we start with this? Paul says very specifically, very first verse, of, the, of this book, he says, I want to start with identity, and I want you to, number one, I want you to know that you are a saint, okay? You're not primarily viewed by God, and you should not view yourself as a sinner 
but primarily as a saint. Can you imagine if you said, hey, what's your name? And I said, uh, hey, nice to meet you. I'm Saint Chad. <laughs> Come on, look at your neighbor and say, hi, Saint. Come on, that's the wrong neighbor there. Find somebody else say, hi, Saint. Okay, he's establishing identity that they are saints. Now, let's look at biblical sainthood for a minute. Paul makes it very simple in, in, in this book. It's uh, no money, no committee, nobody with a clipboard. Okay, nobody has to die. None of, none of that. He said, to be a saint, what's required? Are you in Christ or not? Are you in Christ or not? Are you following Jesus or not? Now, some of you, your mind just exploded because you've never thought of yourself, even though you're serving God, you've never thought of yourself as a saint. As a matter of fact, we usually do the opposite. We think um, that the more conscious we are of our sin, that the closer we are to God. We think the more I focus on the sin, the more God is pleased. But I want to just say boldly right now, God is not honored by self-esteem in the secular world, and God is not honored with self-condemnation in the spiritual world. God is honored when our thoughts and our focus is primarily not on us at all, but when our focus are primarily is on Jesus as a Savior. That, how many of you, that's the focus. Not on us, but on him. Not on our sin, but on what Jesus has done. And some of you, you think my best sermons are the one where I beat you up real good. You think I didn't even preach unless you felt like you were taken to the woodshed. For you young folks, you don't even know what that means. I get it. You think if I beat you up, that was good. But listen, Jesus already took the beating so that I don't have to. That's what happened at the cross. There was an exchange. He took the beating, I received the blessing. And some of us were confused because you think, I need to see myself as a sinner. I need to see myself as someone who has consistently missed the mark. And I'm okay with you understanding you come, came into the world as a sinner, but to even confess that I'm still a sinner saved by grace is wrong theology. You are not just a sinner saved by grace. You are, now, you are now a saint because our focus is not on ourselves. Our focus is on what Jesus has done as our Savior. Anybody thankful that Jesus saved you even in your mess? So 300 times the Bible speaks of people as sinners. 600 times it speaks of God's wrath. And some would say, even people that don't follow Jesus, they'll say things like, I'm a sinner, especially like the agnostics. They'll, they'll be like, I don't, I don't believe in God and this whole judgment thing. My life's going good. I make good money. My kids are healthy. My family's great. I, you know, there's no judgment. But Romans 2 says you're storing up judgment. That even if the judgment doesn't hit in this life and you may not believe in hell, but if you don't repent, how many know you're going to believe in hell? Because wrath and judgment is stored up for the sinner. Very important. Wrath and judgment stored up for the sinner, not for the saint. 
So when it comes to the Christian, when it comes to the believer, to the people who are positionally in Christ, wrath is not being stored up for you. So my point is the Bible does not primarily speak of you if you're a Christian with identity as a sinner. But identity, not only as a saint, but your identity is the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Paul said elsewhere in the book of Corinthians that when you come to Christ, you are a new creation, which means you're not a sinner. And even saying, you know, I was a sinner, now I'm not. No, who you are now in Christ, you've never been before. The moment you get saved, you get a new identity, new biography, and a new new eternity. Anybody thankful for all the things God makes new in Christ? The key to all of that is in Christ. The key to this whole, whole message today is being in Christ. So if you're in Christ, you're not just a guilty, wicked, vile sinner who's forgiven. You're a new creation. Who you are now, you've never been before. And some of you say, well, Pastor, I just don't feel that way. Well, you've got to believe that way. At some point, we've got to come back to what the Word says. Sin may explain some of your activity, but it does not define your identity in Christ. In Christ, listen, as, as being a saint, as someone in Christ, you may blow it. Any saints in the house ever committed a sin? You may miss the mark. But that does not change your identity. I grew up with some teaching and I thought that as a Christian, as a person in Christ, as a saint, if I miss the mark, I'm no longer a child of God. But my sin may, may explain what I did, but it doesn't change my identity. As a matter of fact, our Father, when we are in Christ and living in Christ, he puts his arm around us. He will show us what we did wrong, and he will help us to move away from it and change directions, and he will walk us through our bad behavior. Anybody thankful for his grace, his faithfulness? Come on, he's been patient with you. I think sometimes we... You know, we grow in God and we, we're not who we used to be. And sometimes, how I many, we can become very self-righteous and forget that when we were all messed up doing the wrong thing, God was patient with us. He gave us time to repent, time to change. So God has forgiven you. Um, I, let me go ahead and deal with this sacred cow right here because as a saint, as a person in Christ, you are forgiven by God. Yet I hear a lot of Christians say, I, I know he's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. So what you're saying is, is that you're more important than God. And you're greater than God. And even though God has forgiven you, you're not going to forgive yourself. Or you can't forgive yourself. That's, that's making you God. If God can forgive you and erase your, pa your past and put you on a new direction, you need to give yourself some grace and receive his forgiveness and go ahead and forgive yourself and move forward in the things that God has for you. Move forward in it. Don't get stuck. Some of us get stuck because our primary identity is, is sin instead of Savior. We're un unable to move beyond our past because of shame, guilt, and condemnation. Some of us, we've wrongly thought that if we will obsess over sin more, that God will be more pleased with us. And we've taken that on as our primary identity. And in other words, we make our life no different than the sinner. 
So we're, we're, we're like, I'm just a vile, dirty, evil, wicked, I'm just forgiven. But you don't talk about the change. You don't talk about the fact that your position in Christ has changed you. In Christ, one theologian said, we are genuinely new, though not completely new. And, and, and that, that quote brings on an old word. It, it's a, an old church word. Some of you probably haven't heard it before, but it's the word sanctification. And not just sanctification, but progressive sanctification. I grew up in church. They taught that when you got saved, you got completely sanctified. And I struggled with that because I got saved and some of the things fell off. I didn't struggle with that anymore. But there were some things, old desires, that did not fall off. Anybody feel what I'm talking about right there? Like, it wasn't like every desire in me was now only good. I still had some desires that were not in line with God's word. And so that's where progressive sanctification comes in. That means the longer you serve God, the longer you follow God and grow in your relationship with God, the more of the wrong things he will break off of your life and the more of the right desires he'll begin to put into your heart. The good desires you have, that didn't come from you. The good desires you have, that came from God. Anybody thankful that God will take out the old desires that are not in alignment with his word and he'll put in the right desires. But that happens as I grow in my relationship with God. It's a progressive work. I do believe there is an initial work of sanctification and many things break off immediately the moment you get saved. But as you walk with God, you will find more and more of, of where the Holy Spirit will put his finger on something in your life and say, that's got to go. I want you to deal with this. And we grow in that. The moment we receive Christ is the moment you become genuinely new and now you're on the path to becoming totally new forever. And I tell you this because if you don't understand that, you will have a false view of the good news, a false view of the gospel. And that is give your sin to Jesus and you go to heaven, but there's no help in the meantime. I want you to give your sin to Jesus, but I also want you to receive new identity so that you do not identify with who you used to be but you identify with who God has called you to be now. And we can see this even in the life of Jesus after he's fasted 40 days, he's hungry, he's isolated. And how many know when you're hungry and isolated and tired, the devil's gonna show up with temptation. And the devil shows up. And I want you to see the temptation. He said, if you are the son of God, every temptation in my life and every temptation in your life it's, it's about identity. If you don't establish identity, then you'll have the wrong activity. Had Jesus not already established not only why he came to the earth, but established his identity as the son of God, he might have given in to the temptation. But because Jesus knew who he was, he's like, I'm the son of God. I'm the Lord, your God. I'm the, I don't have to do that. Once you establish identity as a saint, as a person who is living in Christ, that means you don't have to participate in everything the devil brings your way. You can live above temptation because you've already established who you are. And once you establish who you are, you can determine what you do. Is this all right? I want you to grab this. It's important. 
Our primary, primary identity is as saint. That's who we are. Now, a couple of things about being a saint. This is, this, I think this will be helpful. A saint is remorseful over sin. And I, I want to unpack this. If you're, if you're in Christ and you sin, you're remorseful. And what scares me is people who say they're in Christ and following Jesus and they can sin and not be remorseful. Even the Apostle Paul talked about some of the regrets he had as a sinner. He, he had remorse for, for even the previous life. He, he, he said, I was, I was the chief sinner. Like, so he, he had remorse. There was things that, that he wasn't proud of. Okay? So a saint is remorseful over sin. And I want to, I want to, I started real strong. I read those strong verses up front because some of us, we, we are harder to move than others. There are some people who have what I call um, a tender conscience, which means they don't have to be yelled at. A person with a tender conscience, and there's people in the room that have a tender conscience. If someone were to point out your sin, and you have a tender conscience, and they point it out, you're going to be, one, you're going to be devastated, you're going to grieve over it, you're going to be remorseful, but you're also, watch this, not going to be offended, and you're going to repent and move forward. Now, some of us, we're, we don't have a tender conscience, we need to be yelled at. We really need to be told you're out of line. Um, but the tender conscience people need to understand the difference between conviction and condemnation. Okay? Let's, let's talk about this. This is important. Let me just go ahead and say it like this. And then I'm going to give you a list of things. You may want to write them down because every person in Christ is in the tension between what's conviction and what's condemnation. We live there. Okay, it's a constant tension that we have. The devil uses condemnation. God uses conviction. All right? Now, let's, let's establish some things that, that will help you see the difference. Conviction's from God. Condemnation is from Satan. Conviction leads to life, but condemnation leads to despair. Conviction ends in joy. Condemnation ends in sorrow. Conviction makes us want to change. Condemnation makes us believe we can't change. Conviction leads to new identity in Christ. Condemnation leads to an old identity in sin. Conviction brings specific awareness of a sin. Condemnation brings vague uncertainty about sin. All right? Conviction looks to Jesus. Condemnation looks to self. And conviction brings blessing condemnation brings a burden he starts out in Ephesians 1 to the saints who are in Christ and what does he say grace and peace to you and that one of the big difference between conviction and condemnation is this when the Holy Spirit convicts you of something in your life watch this he's very specific it's the action it's not who you are as a person it's the action. This needs repented of. 
This needs changed in your life. It's very specific. Condemnation is usually vague, and instead of dealing with the specific sin, we start to feel like a terrible person. I can't believe I've done this. That's the difference between conviction. God will point out the sin, say this needs to be repented of, put his arm around you as any good father would do, and say we're going to deal with this area, but I'm going to help you deal with it. I'm going to help you. I'm going to walk through this with you. You're going to repent of it. You're going to receive my forgiveness, and you're going to move on in a new direction that's the difference but a lot of us instead of of receiving conviction of the holy spirit that deals with the specific action we fall into feeling like worms i'm a terrible person we start to identify as something again when we sin as a saint our position does not change you're still a child of god he still loves you He's still for you. And listen, if God was sitting in heaven waiting to bash you when you messed up, all of us would be dead. Come on, we wouldn't have showed up this morning. We wouldn't have made it here. He is for you, not against you. We sang about it this morning. Satan wants your identity to be in your sin. And he he wants you to be stuck, never able to leave it or escape it. Some of us, we, we live you know, this life kind of, it's an Old Testament kind of mentality where, uh, you know, I got to find all the idols in my life and we're, we're going through the house and we're turning on the lamp, as the scripture says, and we're lifting up the rug and we're sweet, we're, you know, we're sweeping up the mess and we're, we're just constantly looking for what's wrong. And I want you to slow down and recognize today, sometimes it's not about just going through our life, looking for the idols and everything that's wrong with our life and throwing everything out that shouldn't be there. Sometimes we need to look and start seeing what's right. And what's right is Jesus loved you. Jesus saved you. Jesus has a purpose for you. He doesn't want you spending all your time just trying to find what's wrong. He wants you to see what is right. You are a saint. You are a child of God. Come on, hit your neighbor and say, start acting like it. Y'all ain't playing, are you? Like the Jews who cleaned their house, looking under the rug, looking under the lamp, looking under the bed, dusting out the corners, trying to get it all clean. And it seems, watch this, that seems holy. It seems righteous because you'll talk about your sin, you'll talk about, how awful you are, how evil you are, how bad the things are you've done. And sometimes we'll even share our story and we'll spend 44 minutes out of 45 talking about how bad we were, how messed up we were. And then everybody gets to talk about how brave we were for sharing it. My question is, where is Jesus in the story? At the end of the day, the focus should never be your sin. The focus should be Jesus as a savior. God is our father. Conviction is different than condemnation. Paul says in Romans 8 and 1, we quote it all the time. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Here, this is so important. No condemnation to those who are in Christ. So as a saint in Christ, condemnation's not for us. Conviction, yeah. Condemnation, no. No condemnation to those who are in Christ. A saint, next point, worship team, y'all gonna help me land the plane now. A saint is powerful over sin. 
powerful ever sent. And I know we're only hammering two verses, but man, these are two awesome verses to the saints. That's identity to those who are faithful in Christ. Now, how many of you would, would say today, are you faithful? Would, would you be able to say, yeah, I'm faithful? I'm Saint Chad and I'm faithful. A lot of us probably wouldn't. We usually think of the area, I don't know how you are, maybe, maybe you do. Like, yeah, I'm faithful and I'm a saint and I'm God's favorite. And, and if that is, I hope it is. I hope it's exactly how, because that's the whole point of this message. But some of us, even me, I'm, I've been preaching for 23 years and sometimes I'll find myself 23 years into preaching the gospel I'll, be, I'll find myself just looking for the wrong in my own life. Not even stopping to thank God for all that's right. Not even acknowledging like the good work God has done in me. And, and a lot of times we're like, are you faithful? No, I'm not really faithful. Well, are you a tither? Well, sometimes. Do you make sandwiches for the poor? No, I ate all the sandwiches. Y'all get where I'm coming from? It's, we, we don't give ourselves any credit at all. And it's not even about us getting credit. It's about Jesus getting the credit for the price he paid to change us from sinner to saint. How, how are you going to be faithful to God? That's, that's a good question. And most of us, if we've been in church for a little while, and I've, I've preached it like this, and God helped me to, to do a better job of balancing the message out, how am I going to be faithful? I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. I'm going to be more disciplined. Have you noticed it's all about us? It's all about what we can do and how well we're succeeding and what, what we have on our own personal scorecard. If you're not a Christian, okay, if you're not a Christian, and I know there are people who watch who are not a Christian, there are people who come through our doors who are not a Christian, I want to be very, very clear. You do not have peace with God. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. You're on the path to God's wrath. You're storing up wrath for the day of judgment. All of that is true. For those of you who are, who are in Christ to the saints, he says, grace and peace to you. How many know that's good news? If you're a Christian, I think you ought to give him praise for the grace and the peace that's coming to you. I want you to stand all over the room today. We're gonna to quit right there. The only way you and I can be faithful is by the grace of God. We, we talk a lot about the saving grace of God. And it's important to understand the saving grace of God. But there is also the empowering grace of God. Grace is not just to save you. Grace is to empower you. I think I said it earlier. What, what scares me, you know, sometimes, because a saint, someone in Christ, they are remorseful over sin. They mess up and they're remorseful. Now, you got to also be remorseful, repent, and then move on and not be remorseful. You know, what scares me is the people who say, I'm in Christ, sin, no remorse, no change. The question's got to be asked, are you even in Christ? 
Because at the end of the day, when all this winds down, I don't want to proclaim peace to people who really don't have peace awaiting them. But to those who are in Christ, I want you to know you can have grace and peace and there is not wrath being stored up for you. So last week I did something because I saw a clip and it messed me up and it's one of those things I can't shake or turn off. And it was the clip of the a preacher who was given an altar call and there was a cross behind him. He pointed to it and he said, Jesus hung on the cross naked publicly for you. Can you follow him publicly? And doesn't mean I'm always going to do it this way. Some of you are like, I like the other way where we all close our eyes. We all bow our head. I know you do. I know you do. And it even makes me more comfortable because I know some people get offended when you do it like I'm doing it last week and then doing it today. We get offended. But it's, I'm at that point in my life, like if that offends you, go ahead and get a ticket and get in line. There's a long list of it. Like, I think we're at a place in culture that if you're following Jesus, be bold about it. And listen, listen, be bold about it. If you're not following Jesus, then be bold about that. Let's not put one foot in and one foot out and try to play both sides. If you're following Jesus, publicly follow him. And if you're not following Jesus, then publicly don't follow Jesus. But there's a line that needs to be drawn. So I want to ask you today, heads up, eyes open. If you need Jesus to save you, you need to repent of your sin. This is not to embarrass you, but this is actually to help you. There's something about publicly saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's powerful. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up and say, Pastor, I want to publicly today say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Because salvation is not a prayer. Salvation is a decision to follow him. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? I don't want to miss anybody. I'll make sure that I don't have a glare. Anyone at all? How many got something from the word of God today? Did you get something from it? You come on, Nate. I'm going to ask our prayer team and staff to go ahead and get in place. We're going to open up the altars. If you need deliverance, if you need healing, if you need accountability, maybe you just need a conversation with a prayer worker today. Like, I need some accountability in this area of my life. I know I'm a saint, but I'm struggling. How many of you can be a struggling saint? That is possible. It's possible. We're here to help you. We want, we want what's best for you. We believe there's breakthrough in the house today. Before the worship team sings, can we give Jesus the best praise we have so far? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.